Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast. Talk Radio. Alexis Conran on Talk Radio. With The Times and The Sunday Times. Know your times. We are also joined by current Conservative MP Paul Bristow, MP for Peterborough, a member of the Health and Social Care Committee. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr Bristow. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, uh, I, can I start by uh, asking, uh, Gloria and I have been discussing it uh, this morning. Uh, Alex Sharma has been uh, doing the media rounds uh, this morning. And um, the answer to... Um, what's happening with the personal protection equipment ppe he said and i quote i'm incredibly sorry that people feel they're not able to get this equipment are you able to explain to us what he means by they feel they're not able to get this equipment this equipment is not reaching the front line uh, the bma put a letter out yesterday saying that they are still having difficulties there was a, a hospital in richmond yesterday saying that they are running there's a national shortage of gowns this is not people feeling they're not able to get hold of this equipment. This is people not being able to get hold of this equipment, despite Herculean efforts and four weeks of being told we are being sh- we are shipping hundreds of millions of PPE equipment nationwide. So what is the problem and why can't the government just accept that this is actually happening? This is not people feeling it's not happening. It's happening. Well, this is an unprecedented challenge. There's no doubt about it. And there are issues relating to logistics that uh, have been there in the past. But that's why I'm feeling incredibly confident that we now have this three-point plan to deal with this on guidance, on distribution and logistics. But most importantly of all is on sourcing new PPE equipment, both domestically, manufacturing that domestically and internationally, because this is... You know, once we get through this, it won't be because of anything that the government has said or politicians like me have said. It's because we as a country have come together and we've managed to, almost like in a warlike uh, situation, come together as a country and start manufacturing the PPE equipment, the testing equipment, and getting on top of this crisis uh, mm-hmm. and getting us all through this. I mean, what's like, what's like, absolutely, I think every single listener and every single uh, citizen of the country will be behind you in what you've just said and uh, much of what Priti Patel said, the Home Secretary, yesterday. It, it does feel like we are just about to hit the peak of, of, of infection, hopefully see, see a flattening of that curve. But what you've just said, these three pillars, this should have been news about three and a half, four weeks ago. 
Why has it taken so long? Well, this is a global crisis, and there has been... The global strike crisis that, that started in January, uh, with all due respect. Apologies for, for cutting into you, but we, we know that the crisis is serious. We know it's global, but we have known this for quite some time. Halfway through hitting the peak, in fact, almost at the peak, to say, well, we've got a great new three-point plan to get the PPE out there, it's frankly not really good enough at this stage, is it? Well, that three-point plan is already making a difference because there's already been 700 million uh, items or PPE equipment delivered to the front line. And look, I mean, I'm loath to sit there and talk about 700 million. I'm loath to sit there and talk about the 59,000 providers that the NHS now have to reach as opposed to, I think, 200 or so before that because these are just numbers. But it does give a scale of the challenge that we're facing. It's an unprecedented challenge, and we'll only get through this as a country, all coming together and ensuring that we do have that domestic supply. I mean, I'm so impressed to see companies like Burberry and um, other manufacturing companies in this country getting rid of what they normally do, but getting together and focusing mm-hmm. on the efforts of the country, manufacturing the equipment we need to get through this. It has been an incredibly impressive effort as a country, and that's, I think that's something we should feel relatively good about. Talk Radio. Alexis Conran on Talk Radio. With the Times and the Sunday Times. Know your times. Stephen Gray. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, Great to have you on. Uh, You wrote, uh, I would think, probably one of the first articles of sort of a, uh, not an inquiry, but a sort of a looking back at where we are now and what happened, looking at all the steps of how the government were consulted, when um, things were announced, uh, what the government did, what the government advice has been so far from uh, Britain's chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, uh, and also Sir Patrick Vallance, uh, the chief scientific advisor. Um, in reading your fantastic article, um, the, the, the sense that I get is a lot of detail in it, but the sense that I get is that Things started moving way too slowly, but it'd be very easy to blame the government for everything. But it is also fair to say that scientists seem to have, certainly the scientists that seem to be the important main advisors, seem to also have been quite slow off the mark in dealing with this coronavirus. Yeah, it's obviously, you know, we tried to piece it together. It's only, a, if you like, a first draft of history. We can't you know, there's a lot more to come out of what went on inside number 10 and everything that happened. But I think it's important to try to get this, have a look at all this, because the crisis is is going on for many months to come. So we need to know about the relationship between the government and the scientists and see what kind of leadership is needed. And I think what comes across is that the scientists were making quite a few assumptions uh, that perhaps, you know, can be questioned. And so I started off thinking, well, you know, perhaps Boris Johnson is ignoring the scientific advice and, you know, we should look at that. Let's see what they really were advising. And I came out of it thinking, well, actually, he he pretty much was following the scientific advice, but Mm -hmm. perhaps if if there's anything to question on that, it's about the leadership to those scientists because they were making quite a few key assumptions, uh, one of which was quite prevalent that, we would not be interested as a country in following the kind of measures that were 
that were being used in China and, say, South Korea um, until very late. So they did not fully model the, the, the idea of a kind of total lockdown, which we've almost, we haven't got a complete lockdown, but, but the stringent lockdown that we've got now. So the key things were not being, being looked at. And they were also quite slow, just in general, to sound the alarm, because although they were sort of saying public things about, you know, the worst case scenario and how if it all, if it, if it spread to this country, it could, it could cause a lot of uh, infection. But uh, they didn't actually raise the risk level to the country um, from moderate, for example, to high until March the 12th. So these these risk levels have consequence. They warn people this is this time it's serious, but also they have consequence in government in actually triggering the triggering the kind of actions that were needed. So we didn't see, for example, any real preparation for ramping up the scale of tests. Uh, that was extraordinary. Uh, uh, that was one of the most <clears throat> extraordinary things because we've spent so much time, both in the media, certainly on the show. Um, Matt Hancock on his return from from recovering his illness was absolutely grilled of why are Germany, for example, doing 100,000 tests a day almost, uh, and we're not. But I see from your article here that, that, that there was absolutely no intention at all um, to ramp up any testing. It seemed to be like a, a non-important issue, which seems absolutely bizarre. Well, the surprising thing to me, um, and obviously I'm not an expert, but it is talking among the scientists who are, is that they there really wasn't a plan B. So, um, well, at least the plan B was not what you'd expect. In other words, it, it was to, it was very much sort of move straight from fighting really hard to to stop the infection coming in, and there was a real big effort to do that. But then once that, and it was in the half term holidays when they really started, this, as you can see in the article, the um, people started to realise that it wasn't going to work. There, there were cases that popped up in Italy and in Iran at the same time. And uh, there were sort of insiders there who think, told me how, at that point, they really just thought it was game over. But it's like the first line of trenches have been breached. And then you suddenly realise there, there isn't a second line. Because at that point, it was, well, we're not doing any more testing in the community. Um, we're not going to trace any more contacts. And I think that was what people found quite staggering. And, and, and what was... Uh, what struck me was that there hadn't been a plan to ramp things up. There wasn't that option. They, they literally did, did not have any other option at that point. Talk Radio. Alexis Conran on Talk Radio. With The Times and The Sunday Times. Know your times. I'm also delighted to say that Jess Phillips joins us on the line, Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley and Shadow Minister for Domestic Violence and Safeguarding. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you for giving us your time. No problems. Happy Easter. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, obviously, yesterday was a big day uh, concerning domestic abuse. We saw the briefing be given uh, for the first time uh, by a woman and also our, our uh, Home Secretary, Priti Patel. Um, there seems to be an acknowledgement that uh, it's been brought up by yourself and plenty of others that domestic abuse during this lockdown is a very serious issue. Uh, trapping people inside their homes with abusive partners is a huge issue. Do you think the uh, Home Secretary has done enough to address the issue? Absolutely not, I'm afraid. I think that it was good that she did the briefing and that um, what she offered is welcome. But I'm afraid to say it, it's both too little too late and and still just not at all understanding the nature of 
a need for a strategy across government departments on this issue. It isn't just about making sure the helplines, which are absolutely vital, have the resources. It is making sure that when people ring those helplines, which they're doing in advanced numbers at the moment, that there is somewhere for them to go. Now, last week, I had to tell three different women, just in my own constituency, that the nearest refuge that they could go to in this time of crisis was in was in Hertfordshire. Now, that's miles away and completely and utterly impractical in this time of lockdown for people to be travelling around the country. And so, with the greatest will in the world, the idea that two million pound for the helpline and domestic abuse charities being able to access the funding for generally for charities it just doesn't give me much confidence that there is a strategy working with the the housing uh, departments um, and local government across the country to make sure that we had a proper strategy for how to deal with violence and abuse during the coronavirus what what do you think is uh, lacking? I mean, I know you described it pretty pretty accurately there, but yesterday, for example, we were speaking to Ken Marsh from the Metropolitan Police. He said, look, policing is still as it was pre-lockdown. If we attend mm-hmm. uh, a call out and we find that someone has been physically abusing or abusing their, their partners, they will be removed. We will take them into custody. Um, if the law is still able to do its job, what do you think that this lockdown requires as an extra uh, as as help for people? Is it that accommodation be made available? As you said, you, you yeah. couldn't find any accommodation closer than Hertfordshire from where you are, which is yeah. quite far away. Is, is that what you would like <laughs> yeah. to see? Is it, what, Where can the government help? The, the government can absolutely help in a, in a not dissimilar way to the, the what they've been doing for both key workers and uh, homeless people is that they have been commissioning hotel chains. I've spoken to all the major hotel chains in the last two weeks who are more than happy to be helping on the same basis that they are housing homeless people at vastly reduced rates, probably not even covering their own costs. But the government is funding that in, in those areas. And I have been asking now for three weeks for domestic abuse victims just to be added to that list. Jess, uh, I want to move on to uh, the COVID-19 crisis uh, (laughs) handling at the moment. Now, your uh, brand new leader, Keir Starmer, uh, has called today, it was in the front of the Observer, for for Parliament to reconvene. Uh, Jacob Mm Rees-Mogg has been saying that it's not going to happen until the 21st of April. And uh, Mm -hmm. even when it happens, it will be, you know, virtually reconvened. So using all sorts of streaming and virtual meeting rooms, etc. At the moment, we've been asking our listeners how how useful they've been finding the government briefings can i ask you the same question i appreciate that there is a lot of partisanship and politics that yes. are being played at the moment so but i i, I think i can trust you to sort of look <laughs> at it objectively and, yeah. and are are the government are you able to hold the government to account without being seen as doing the country down but naysaying criticizing from the sidelines mm. People are struggling to find the right data and the right information. Uh, Are these briefings helping? Look, I I called for the briefings very early on because I felt like we weren't getting correct information and also that the sort of severity of it didn't seem to 
it didn't seem to be in the heart of the country or the body politic. And so I felt like, you know, I definitely was one of the people who was calling for them. I want to mm-hmm. change the subject slightly, if I may. Um, obviously, <laughs> I was a Labour MP. I'm still a member of the Labour Party. I'm very uh, pleased. We miss uh, you dearly. Oh, likewise. <laughs> um, I'm very pleased that um, the Labour Party has turned over a new leaf. But I was pleased to see you stand in the leadership. I, I'm not really sure what, why did you leave that contest? Um, to be perfectly honest, though, I think that the the Labour Party is in a sort of was, and I'm hoping now it's in the next phase of its future. Um, it feels like it is to me, like you say. Um, but at the time, I felt like, you know, I'm a bit of a lightning rod, aren't I? And it started to just really feel that there was no way that I could be anything but either adored or hated. And that isn't what the Labour Party um, needs at the moment, um, because it it does need to sort of pull together and be working and pushing together. I I would say that if I'd stayed in the competition, potentially I would have, I think I would have disagreed with people more (laughs) than ended up happening in the, uh, um, and so it might have been more fireworks, but I decided that actually it wasn't worth the fireworks to be honest. And whilst it was a bit dull, the whole leadership contest, because it went on for way too long. Um, <laughs> the the reality was, is that I don't think it needed fireworks. We need safety, security, and for the country to feel that we're credible and secure at the moment. Thank you for downloading this podcast. A reminder, you can listen to Talk Politics live every Sunday between 10 and 1pm.